Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And once again, welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 231. Did I or did I not tell you that you would get three episodes this week? I would not let you down. In fact, this week has actually turned into the week of the Mid-Am. You know, the first two episodes, actually kind of reunions, both Geronimo Esteve and Gene Elliott returned for a second appearance here at the back of the range. Now, I know Gene's not technically a Mid-Am. He's more of a Senior Am and kind of a legend these days because uh, I don't really know of a Mid-Am that wants to pace this guy right now. He's the reigning U.S. and British Senior Amateur Champion. Yeah, he won them both in the same year. And closing out the week, got another U.S. Mid-Amateur Champion. In fact, my guest this week is the 13th United States Mid-Amateur Champion to be a guest on the back of the range. Now, how did all that happen? Well, really, it's thanks to you, the listeners, that have supported this podcast from day one. So thank you for all the support. It really does mean a lot. My guest on this episode captured the 2005 U.S. Mid-Amateur Championship at the Honors Course in Tennessee. Yes, Kevin Marsh is my guest on this episode. We shared some stories about that Pepperdine National Championship in 1997. Now, remember when Jason Gore led the waves to the win at Conway Farms and their coach had the chicken pox and, you know, they had to find someone to step in as interim coach for, for the championship? Well, that guy? Yeah, that was Kevin Marsh. We got into that story again. We talked about his amateur career that has opened so many doors for him and his family. Another cool thing about this episode is that he shared perhaps the coolest Tiger Woods story I have ever heard on this podcast. It comes near the end of the episode. You know, we're chatting about his experience playing in the 2006 Masters, and then he drops this anvil of a story on me. And even when I was listening back to the episode with my post-production editing staff, I was still like, that that story is just incredible. But the first thing we got into during this episode was regarding the 2022 East-West matches. It's returning to Merido next year. You know, the best mid-ams and senior ams in the country, East versus West. Well, big announcement. We got that out of the way right up front. And then we dug into Kevin's amateur career. Remember, do the right thing for yourself, for your family, and for your loved ones. Follow the back of the range on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And please leave a review in Apple Podcasts. You'll be you'll be glad you did. Oh, and I almost forgot. The year the year's almost over. I really thought I'd be off the road. No more tournaments to cover. Shut it down. Wait till next year. But but oh no. We're gonna run it back one more time. I'm heading back to Sea Island, Georgia for the Jones Cup Junior Invitational. Back at it again, hanging with the best juniors in the world. So can't wait. That's why you got to follow on Instagram. And also go follow Jones Cup Invitational on Instagram because that's where you'll get your last fix of content for me in 2021. Let's get this episode started. Kevin, welcome to the back of the range. How are you? Ben, doing fantastic. Happy to be a part of it. Hey, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Last time, uh, last time I saw you was, I believe... Wow, it's really been just about a year ago at the East-West matches at uh, at Merido Golf Club. That sounds about right, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It was actually slightly over a year 
and uh, we're just inside a year now of 2.0. It's going to be awesome. Well, it's amazing how we've just directed this episode right to the East-West matches right off the bat, almost like we had some news to share about this this match. It's basically a year in you know year away, just like you said. Um, for for listeners that obviously are, are that know about it or maybe are a little unfamiliar. Um, this is something that was probably 20 years in the making to get this off the ground. Last year was the uh, the inaugural East-West matches, pitting um, 16 of the best mid-ams and senior ams from the east coast of the, of the country, eastern half of the country against the western half of the country. And uh, if I remember right, now weren't you uh, weren't you a captain of the West team that, that was victorious last year? Go ahead and talk about your team. See, I'm just setting you up beautifully for this. <laughs> Well, yeah, it was, um, you know, it had, it was a long time in the making. I know there's been several people in the amateur golf world and, and, um, groups of us, um, over the years that have really tried to, you know, get something like the East West matches off the ground. And, and, you know, we just, uh, for whatever reason, it just kind of all came together with Scott Harvey, you know, really taking the lead to, um, to make it happen. And then, you know, to establish a relationship with, uh, you know, with Albert Huddleston, who just is, a is as passionate of a guy as you could find about amateur golf, um, that, that I know of in, in this generation, certainly, um, that, that has an amazing facility in Dallas there at Merido, um, that wanted to, you know, host it. So it, it kind of all came together and, you know, we collaborated and, and, uh, for, I don't remember how long it was, it was probably close to a year and, um, it all, you know, really just kind of came together, um, with a lot of hard work by, by Scott Harvey and, and Albert and myself and Skip Burkmeyer and a few other of the guys that, you know, really, you know, really pushed for this to, to happen. So we're, we're really fortunate. I mean, it's just, um, and so I, I, I helped out um, Jim Holgrieve, who was the official captain for the West last year, and I was his assistant captain. and And it was just an honor to you know be a part of it, and you know see all the guys um, play their hearts out, and and just have so much fun. And uh, it was great. Yeah, I I was really impressed with not just the play, but also. It seemed like everything that could go right in a team match play format did go right because every day, you know, it's three days. You have a first day, which is, uh, you know, just a, a four ball session and then two uh, foursome sessions on the second day and then singles on the final day. But it seemed that every session ended on that 17th hole, par three, where all the teams were gathering, watching the final match come in. You don't normally see that all the time. And then, of course, in the singles, you know, what what better way to finish it to have it come down to the final match? And, oh, by the way, you have Nathan Smith, a four-time U.S. Mid-Am champion, uh, representing the East against Kristovich on the West, and he pulls out this incredible up and down on 18 to, to lock everything up. Yeah. Um, I mean, everything, it just, I was looking at you, I was looking at, at uh at Harvey, I was like, man, who's writing this shit? Because, I mean, how'd you guys figure this out? This is ending so perfectly for an inaugural. Because, as you know, I mean, you've played a lot of team matches and, and different tournaments. It, if it doesn't get started on the right foot, if it doesn't be, if it's not highly contested, 
it's going to just kind of evaporate into kind of a hit and giggle. And then at some point, people would be like, eh, I've played it. I don't want to play it anymore. But that that is not the case. This thing could not have started any better. I No, it really couldn't have. Um, you know, regardless of who ended up winning, you know, I mean, obviously we feel great about, you know, Kristovich is amazing up and down on 18 and, you know, being able to, you know, pull out a win for the West. But it was even if it didn't end that way, I think it just it checked every box. Right, I mean, it was right. just incredible. Um, it, it, it really we, we knew it could get to that point. But, you know, I think everybody thought it would take a little bit of time, you know, to happen organically. And it just happened so fast. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, if, when you really look back at it, I mean, aside from, you know, there's always been in the amateur world, if you look at in, in the mid ams, especially, and even senior am golf from, from my time, you know, playing mid am golf and being a part of, you know, tournaments with seniors, uh, in, in certain divisions, whatever, there's always been, you know, that, that real special player or two that kind of separates themselves, you know, um, going way back, even before our time, there was always, you know, the, the Jay Siegels of the world and John Harris's of the world yeah. and Buddy Marucci's and, you know, Vinnie Giles and these guys that really kind of separated themselves and, you know, Tim Jackson and everybody kind of gets on these runs where they're in a, they're in a position in their life where they, you know, are comfortable and they've got the time to really, play a lot of golf and you know work on their games and invest a lot of time into you know their their schedules to 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 play some quality golf and you know the the reality is is the majority of guys that are you know and especially in the mid-am world just don't have that luxury to to do that so you know they're all really good players so i think it it kind of equals everybody out right so you know, you take out, you know, like right now, obviously, you know, with Stuart Hagestad and what he's doing is just at a whole different level than what most other guys in the mid-am world are doing. Um, and so everybody else, kind of most of the other guys all kind of fall into that next bucket. And right, right they're all just really, really good. And, you know, if we all play each other, you know, 10 times, it's, it's probably going to end up, you know, no more than six, four, you know, like you're just not going to have guys blowing guys out. I mean, it's just cause they're so evenly matched. Yeah. And so when you, when you put these, these matches together um, in the East West, it's just like, you could almost do a blind draw on honestly, and it's going to end up close, you yeah. know? Um, and with that many matches, obviously, you know, by Sunday singles, you know, we were down, I think five points going into the Sunday singles. And, you know, obviously if, if our guys don't play well that day and the East plays well, and, you know, it could have been kind of a blowout, but, you know, I just don't think it's ever going to be like one of these long runs of, of certain, you know, one side, you know, winning, by big margins, you don't you know, see a you, you don't see a 2004 Ryder Cup situation happening with a with like a, a 18 to nine kind of a whooping. That I mean, it's possible. Okay. It's certainly possible. Okay. But I just don't think you're going to get that. You know, three or four times consecutively. Right. Right. You know, I just don't think you're going to have these runs where because I just think there's just so many good players now, 
and especially now after hosting the first one, I mean, just everybody's talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, I think a lot of people, you know, that maybe didn't, you know, hadn't really paid attention to it. And now, now that they know it's there and it's a goal to make the team, you're going to have even more guys that are going to really, you know, try to gear up their schedules and maybe add an event or two um, to make sure they, you know, make the team. And so I think it's going to be even more balanced moving forward. I mean, it's just hard to be hard to beat what we did the first time, but I just think it's just going to be really cool to see new players be exposed to it, you know, each and every time we, we do this. Yeah. Well, um, you mentioned Holt Grieve. He was the victorious captain, and you were his assistant. But um, I'm, you know, not sure exactly when this episode is being released. But I think it's safe to safe to say we can announce the fact here that uh, you've been chosen as the captain of the West team. Um, not sure you're going to be able to bring as many tears and emotion to it as Captain Holtgrieve <laughs> did, but uh, that's a tall task. You also have a opposing captain on the east side. There is a new captain that has been selected. So, um, you know, Paul Simpson uh, maybe will be playing this year instead of being a captain. That that sounds frightening for you. Uh, that has to that can't be something you're looking forward to. Um, <laughs> But the captain of the East team is the two-time victorious United States Walker Cup captain, Nathaniel Crosby. Good, I mean, good luck, this guy. I mean, this guy is yeah. just a, a winner. What do you, what do you do? Like, are you bribing him with something? Are you sending him <laughs> sending him a case of wine to congratulate him? Uh, how? I mean, that's not good news for the West, is it? No, it's not. But you know, I'm hoping maybe you know he'll he's such a looming figure that the guys on the east are going to be nervous to play for him i don't know <laughs> Lo- looming is a word we've not used here at the back of the range but i love it he's looming um he'll be looming a lot yeah. of places I, in Meridale. I may not i may not uh i may not be having the same amount of tears that uh, jim holgreave did yeah. but i will be shedding some tears from the abuse that nathaniel's going to be giving me <laughs> there you go i mean yeah i mean it's just going to be brutal but uh, i'm fully prepared for it I've, I've experienced it before from nathaniel on several other occasions so um you know i'm just hoping the guys uh, on my team uh, play well and kind of silence him a little. It's uh, gonna it'd be a miracle if they can do that. <laughs> I I, I want to see if I can be around for how many sentences start by him by saying, you know, when I was captaining the Walker Cup team, what we did. I, I'm sure that's gonna be, um, yeah. So, but but now you're saying, uh, but you just mentioned Stuart Hagestad who's gonna be on the West team. Uh, you know, just well, you just mentioned Stuart Hagestad that was on the West team in 2020. And uh, is the is the reigning U.S. mid amateur champion. You you also have a former member of this team, Gene Elliott, who is now the reigning yeah. U.S. senior amateur champion. Fifty uh, percent of the team is based on points, and then the other fifty percent is based on captains' picks that you have at your disposal. So, do you go by gut feeling or past performances, or do you just take cash bribes? How does this work to get on this team? <laughs> Yeah, and, no, and don't worry. I'm not asking for me because see, I'm I'm in Florida. I'm on the East team, so I'm just I'm not asking for me. I'm not trying to. This is not where I'm going with this. I'm just curious. You know, how do you go about? Because the, the other challenge is, you know, like you know everyone. You're a former U.S. mid amateur champion. You've played in the circuit for 
over 20 years. You know everyone. Like, this is great that you're the captain, but it's also going to be a little bit challenging because there's going to be friends of yours that aren't going to be on this team. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's going to be challenging. I mean, unfortunately, it's not my sole, you know, uh, authority to be picking every player, but on those on those picks that we do get. But, you know, it's, it's just going to be a lot of fun to see everybody jockeying for position and, and kind of paying attention to the point system that, that Scott created. And, um, you know, certainly, you know, Stewart is just, I mean, like I said earlier, he's just at a whole different level right now. Um, don't, don't start it, saying he listens to this podcast and he's just, don't, <laughs> don't say that. Cause he's just going to get all proud of himself. He, we know well, what he's done. Let's just keep, let's just calm down a little bit. Yeah, I know. I know. But we, you know, we're hopefully he's got it in his schedule already booked and, and we're going to have him a big part of the team, but you know, we also don't want to forget the, you know, the, the college players that are going to be playing as well. Um, you know, they were a huge part of it yeah. last time with Kristen Cootie and Mac Mesner and Tyler Chapachi and John Pack, who played for the East. And, you know, so we're really going to pay attention to, you know, the, those kids that are going to be coming up and we want to make them a big part of it as well. Um, you know, this is, even though there's only four of those players, they're, they're a big part of the East West matches. And they had kinda, a, those guys had a blast. I, I remember them just saying, this is the coolest thing. And, and it was fun for me being able to talk to yeah. guys like Pac and Strafacci and, and, and Meisner and, and, and Cootie and just kind of say, you see that guy over there? I said, do you know what that guy's done? And then the, one of the highlights I, uh, the, of the entire experience for me was when uh, Harvey and I kind of were able to, and you and, and everyone, we were all kind of able to calculate the number of USGA appearances uh, in total. Yeah. And that number came out to 637. And just the look on people's faces when and that when that was announced was that was just beyond uh, it's oh, just oh, a mind-blowing oh number god it's just crazy guys it's so funny because some of the guys were like you know i feel i've, I've only played like five i feel so you know insignificant I, I, um, i'm a little upset that i wasn't counted because i bring a grand total of one usg appearance to the total and i don't think mine was counted and that that's <laughs> yeah, we that, some, we'll, we'll, we'll do some reaccounting next year that, that's that was hurtful uh i just felt <laughs> like i wasn't included i was like i mean i have one guys so um, so uh we're gonna we're gonna obviously follow the progression of the points list uh for the east west matches as the year uh, as 2022 progresses lots of golf has to be played uh, from yeah, now until then a lot of changes there's gonna be a lot of fluctuations uh, obviously, uh, you know, Stuart Hagestad is leading the points right now based off his U.S. Mid-Am win. But then you have a lot of other guys. You know, Geronimo Esteve just picked up the win at the Devil's Elbow. He's going to play yep. another PGA Tour event. He's right up there as well. Uh, you know, Chip Brook uh, won the Gasparilla, won Birmingham. So there's there's guys that are moving up. There's some guys that are going to need to make up some ground to get on this team. But that's going to be a lot of fun to to track that for the next year. But, yeah. I, but I feel that we kind of need to explain to listeners how you have found your way as the captain of this team and talk a little bit about your past achievements and maybe your amateur career. Um, the other thing that, you know, obviously graduated Pepperdine University in 96, four collegiate wins. Um, you know, you were, um, you know, there's there's many past and current members of this uh, Pepperdine's men's golf program that have been here on the podcast. And, um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about your experience in 97 with, with uh, Jason Gore and, uh, and Andy Walker and that national championship team. 
but you follow the current program pretty closely now, don't you? Yeah, I do. I mean, I just am so proud of, you know, what Michael's done, um, what Beard's done with the program and, you know, not only obviously just assembling an incredible, you know, group of great players, but just, they're all just such good kids and it's just been so much fun to watch them, you know, have a lot of success and, you know, and then you got Sahith out there, you know, on tour and, um, it's just, it's just been fun. I mean, there, there, I think there's just more and more guys coming up. I hope, I hope, uh, you know, one or two of them, you know, are, are playing well and have their schedules open to even play for me on the, on the East West matches. I think it would be so cool to have at least one of the guys, you know, be part of it. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's been a, it's been a fun, fun thing to be part of. And, and, um, you know, we've, we've started, you know, Pepperdine's such a small school and we don't have a long history. I mean, the golf team barely had been started before I got there in 91. And, um, <clears throat> so it's, we don't have this huge, you know, long history and, you know, tons of tour players and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's just been great to, you know, finally have a, an alumni, that, you know, are now getting to the point in their lives where, you know, they're successful in the business world and they can start giving back to the program and start, start really, you know, being a part of it again, which is, which is just really special. Now, I don't want to put you too much on the spot here, but I am going to do it a little bit. Now you're pretty close to these guys, you know, the team fairly well. If you had to grab one of them for perhaps, you know, you and then, you know, partner up with one of these players for like a, you know, South Carolina, you know, South California, or a California four ball kind of outing, um, which one are you taking? Which one are you taking? And I don't mean just by yeah. skill, because they're all in this, they're all pretty much at the same level. I mean, we you know Mao and Verzic and Hitchner, and I mean they're all that's all right there. But which one of those do you kind of connect with the best? Would you say? You know, because it's, it's all about because yeah. the four ball is all about the hang. Is that's kind of what I'm getting? Know, yeah, I you know. know. Yeah, I mean, you know. I, I haven't gotten to know the kids like on a real personal level, but just, I mean, watching them coming down the stretch. I mean, Highsmith was just, I mean, that guy's got some stones, man. I mean, he just, <laughs> he hit some shots that were so impressive. I'd gotten to know Clay Fiegler well, but obviously he's pro he's, you know, turned pro, right. but I mean, and him too down the stretch. And I mean, it's just fun. I mean, um, you know, Mal would be great, obviously, because he, you know, made the, you know, he was on the Walker Cup team, so it'd be fun to have him on my side against me, against the panel. There you go. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, they're all, like I said, they're they're all just such great kids that it'd be fun to, you know, have any of them, but they're, um, it's just cool. And, and, you know, a lot can happen, obviously, between, you know, now and next November. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know 100% who's, you know, who's going to be turning pro between now and then, so, We'll see how it all plays out. I'm just, you know? I'm just thinking of, you know, do we want Joey Verzich turned loose in an open bar at Merido Golf Club for the weekend? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I can handle, Man, that's, uh, that's, handle that's, that babysitting that's, duty. That, that's a lot of, that's a lot of work right there. <laughs> I'm not responsible. I got to take. If, if if he does make the team, Beard is coming to uh, to be uh, taken care of. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, <laughs> he got a guy with his own handler. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so this story has been shared multiple times on this podcast, the 97 national championship at, at Conway farms 
Um, Pepperdine really kind of gets into the national championship. I believe you finished, I believe they finished like ninth in regionals. I mean, it was, it was stroke play yeah. at the time. It was a very different kind of a national championship. And Pepperdine gets in. And it, you know, a lot of this story has been shared by by Jason Gore, by Andy Walker. They're both members of that team, and you know, the story goes basically is at the time, Coach John Guyberger's not feeling too well, and and he's, uh, you know, kind of run down. And he's sick, and it, it eventually they find out that he gets the chicken pox of all things, yeah. and gets confined to his hotel room, and um, there's no one there to coach the team. And you need someone there because, again, it's, it's you know, it's college kids. Someone's got to make sure they get to the first tee. They know what shirt to wear and everything <laughs> like that. I mean, someone's got to be in charge. And yeah. um, and you get the call. So we've heard the experience from the players. What was your experience when, at the time, you're playing professionally, your phone rings. Uh, take it from there. What happens? Well, actually, I was I happened to be there. So what, what, the, what happened was um, – so I had, I had graduated. I had an extra semester before I graduated in December of 96. And then after that, I turned pro and I was playing on the Hooters tour. And um, so I think we were in Columbia, South Carolina or something like that. And we had a week off. And then we had the following week was in um, a little town called El Paso, Illinois, a few hours south of Chicago. So I was caravanning with um chad campbell and chris riley oh, wow. and um uh, who both played for unlv obviously and then another guy named drew fenimore who played for texas a&m and so we had been you know traveling around all year and uh we decided that we were going to go to chicago to watch the guys play up at conway farms and and then we would just you know go to a couple cubs games and kind of hang out and so we got to the team hotel, you know, where all the players were staying um, the night after the first practice round, because at the finals, you get to play two practice rounds okay. as opposed to you know, most of the regular tournaments. So anyway, so we get there and, and the guys had gotten back from the course and they had dinner and, and they, and John was not feeling well. And then um, the next morning um, he woke up and he was like really sick so he just said, Hey, can you drive the guys to the course in the van and, um, and then, you know, bring it back, whatever. So I was like, yeah, no problem. So, you know, do that, go to the you know, fair practice round. I walk around, uh, we go to dinner, we get back to the hotel and he's quarantined in his room with the chicken pox. Like, so then everybody's like calling their moms, you know, have I had chicken pox? Right. And he was pretty funny. So fortunately everybody was safe and um and so yeah i mean this is before the days of you know maybe a couple you know programs like oklahoma state maybe and arizona state had assistant coaches but i mean nobody had assistant golf coaches back then i mean it was just the head coach and that was it yeah so you know i basically just yeah yeah no problem i mean these guys were like my teammates and roommates you know five six months ago so it wasn't a big deal. And so we, you know, we went out there and we, you know, got off to a decent start. And, and then um, as the week went on, I mean, Gore was playing amazing and Michael Walton was playing amazing and Andy was playing amazing. And, you know, it just was crazy. And, and so, you know, all the guys were playing so well 
and you know basically after three rounds i think we were leading and um and it was then it just became like oh my god this is real you know this might actually and, happen uh, because of my yeah, leadership so, and my coaching ability this yeah, might exactly. happen yeah i mean i mean for the record that was the only tournament they won all year i mean i'm just saying i don't know if like <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, well and, and and it's the only one you ever coached yeah exactly yeah. so you know so it was the funniest story it was like the second hole at conway farms is a par three and uh i'm standing back there and and uh i think paul meyer goes through his first group and then uh mark madsen maybe i think was in the second group and he goes through and then I don't know if it's either Andy or, or Michael Walton. And, um, and, you know, I'm standing back on the tee with, uh, we were playing with Oklahoma state and, um, Northwestern and, um, the coach for, uh, Oklahoma state, um, coach Holder. Yeah. Holder. Okay. Uh, you know, he's like just a legend right. in golf, you know, college golf, um, is standing back there. And, and he, after like the third group tees off, and they walk off the tee. He looks over to me and he's like, who are you? Like, <laughs> he goes, who are you? And like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and it was like, it was pretty funny. It's amazing. You know, like, he didn't realize welcome you into the brotherhood of coaching. Yeah, I mean, you, you've been no coaching idea. for at least like, two days now. I mean, what, what happened? Yeah, Where is no, this? No. Well, this is the last round. Oh, this is the last round. Oh, they, oh. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, so anyway, you know, we ended up playing amazing and, uh, and the guys won and, you know, Gore should have won individually. Unfortunately, he kind of had a train wreck on 18. Yeah. He, he double bogeys 18 to, to miss out on the playoff by one. And, yeah. and I think I talked to him about it and I've read stuff about it where he's like, Hey, all I wanted to do is make sure the team won and, you know, the team gets the title and that's great. But you must've just looked at him and been just sick. Yeah. I felt really bad. I mean, I, I, I kind of walked the last, four or five holes with him and 17 is a par three long par three down the hill and and um you know he he hit a good shot in there and i can't remember i think he made par and so i kind of it back then too it wasn't you know it's not like you had your smartphone and you could figure out exactly right, right. how you stood so you were kind of relying on leaderboards and and whatnot so i knew we were we had a lead but i didn't know how much and and, you know, 18's a par five, but you got to walk back like, you know, 70, 80 yards back to the tee. So instead of walking back there with him, I kind of just took the shortcut and oh, no. you know, waited for him. And he, he ended up taking his driver and I think he, he just pulled a little bit and he, you know, um, caught a bunker, a fairway bunker. And then he actually hit a phenomenal uh, second shot to get it out of the bunker and over like a creek that crosses the fairway. And and then he hit a poor uh, third shot left and he just plugged it in the, you know, in the face of the bunker and just had nothing. I mean, so it was just a, you know, unfortunate, you know, series of events that led to, you know, uh, having a tough hole, but he just is, you know, Jason is just such an amazing human being and, and, and teammate and friend. And, you know, it's just, it was so cool to, you know, see, after the fact, you know, how he, how he handled it. And, and, you know, even now to this day, how, you know, how prideful he is in, in winning the team and not really, you know, I'm sure there's a piece of him that is disappointed that he didn't win the individual, but, 
um, it was just a huge, huge event for Pepperdine. I mean, to put us on the map like that, um, you know, because we had had a couple good teams, you know, when I was there, and but we just never, you know, had played well in the big moment, you know. Kind of reminds yeah. me of like a Villanova uh, against Georgetown 85 NCAA basketball thing. I don't know why that popped into my head, and that's probably a reference that's a little bit too old for some people listening, but, um, you know, fortunately you and I are in the same uh, age bracket. <laughs> We're in the same age bracket, but it kind of reminds me of that a little bit, like a team that's really – I mean, whether it's Oklahoma State or any other team, you're really going up against a juggernaut of more experienced and more established collegiate golf programs. And that's kind of, I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's 100% fair. I mean, I just think that, you know, it's so hard in golf because, you know, you've got, you know, you got to put it together, you know, for four days. You need, you know, at least four or five of your guys to all be playing really well you need the golf course to kind of fit them and it just everything really fell into place for us and um it was it's just fun to to think back you know gosh it's been you know 24 years since that happened and it's it's just incredible um and it, it was fun actually i got i we had a mid-am there that um nathan of course won i mean he's one half of them but yeah. Oh, I, I know all about that one, Kevin, because that's the yeah. only one I've ever played in. So, uh, that, oh, that was the one. Cool. That, that yeah. was the one. I mean, that, and actually, Nathan's mentioned this. You know, him winning the 2012 U.S. Mid Am with me in the field is the really the most incredible victory he's ever had. He said that. <laughs> of the four, that's of the, the four, the one, because he got through a field that include a future golf podcaster. And then, and then we started talking about, uh, he started asking where I was in the match play bracket. And that's when I said, no, 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 I was in the B flight. I, I went over to the satellite course and, and that's when we stopped talking about that. But anyway, go ahead. 2012. That's my fault. No, I just, I just, it was just fun to go back there, you know, and, and, and actually get to play. Cause I actually never, I never played the yeah, golf the place course. is easy. Place I, is easy. I, Anyone can break I it, just, even me. <laughs> I just walked it, you know, during the tournament, during the NCAA. So to be able to actually get to play it was fun and, and, you know, have some good memories and, and, uh, you know, actually struggled over at Knollwood and then played really well over at Conway and made match play and, you know, lost to, um, mirror in the second round, but it was, um, it's just a cool place. And, um, you know, just brought back a lot of memories, which was fun. Well, I, I don't know if that loss against Muir still gnaws at you, but don't worry. He's still kicking everyone's ass, apparently, in the mid am game right now. Um, well, did you see what he did in uh, senior tour school? No. What happened? He finished, like, second at first stage of senior tour school. <laughs> Shot 14 under. <laughs> so he may not even be on the West. He may be on tour next year on the championship. Oh, my gosh. He's going, I'm serious. He's, I mean, he is unbelievable how good he is. Well, that I mean, that's one of those – you know, he's been a guest on the podcast and that's one of those tragic ones. I mean, he was, he was a PGA tour player and then he got, you know, yeah. then he got cancer. He got sick. Uh, it was, yeah. um, you know, I mean, that was, um, but yeah, well, um, geez. Well, you mentioned watching, watching him to see what he does every year at Pine Valley at the uh -huh. Cup. It's yeah, just yeah. ridiculous. I mean, the guy just is a ball striking machine and, and just rolls out of bed and shoots, you know, 
68 to 72 every time he tees it up there which is just insane yeah steve was talking about it he's like yeah i was medalist at crump and then i go up against mirror and he kicked my ass like usual i was like that sounds about right yeah. that I sounds know. about right so see what's waiting for you in senior amateur golf we'll talk about that in a little bit but see what's waiting for you if he doesn't turn pro you got all that to, to deal with um you there's mentioned- zero chance i'm turning pro no <laughs> uh, well i mean you never say never, but now you talked about, but now you did play professionally. You got your status back in 02, but um, yeah. I, I heard that, that magic word that gets mentioned every once in a while here at the back of the range. And anytime I hear it, I got to stop what I'm doing. We got to, you know, full breaks on the episode, but you played on the Hooters tour. I did. And there are always stories. I mean, there's a lot, we got a lot of developmental tours right now. You know, the P, you know, McKenzie and Latin America, they're owned by the PJ Tour. You know, they're very, very, you know, straight laced. And there's some mini tours out there, you know, minor league golf tour, APT, they do a great job. But the Hooters tour, I mean, there needs to be a book, there needs to be a movie. I mean, this has such a special legacy. I don't think it's gonna be difficult for you to give me at least one story from your days on the Hooters tour that listeners are gonna be like, What? Like that didn't happen. That did that really didn't happen. Man, I uh, the problem is I'm married now, so I can't tell a couple of the really good stories. Okay. <laughs> but but, but were, but were you married while you're on the Hooters tour? I was not. No, okay. So so what so what's the problem here? What you you're, I mean I mean no, I know better now. Oh jeez, I got kids now too. But uh, you know, it was just incredible the the places you go and the little towns in the south these these little small little towns that have these you know golf courses that nobody would have ever heard of and uh i just i don't know if there's any one specific thing that happened but just staying in housing you know i mean i had no money and you know traveling around in my car i mean my car was in um was in 38 states i mean you think about that i mean one vehicle i had for two years played full-time on the hoover's tour i was in 38 states and you know this is no cell phones um i had like one of those little you know nokia phones just for emergencies basically and, um, you know, I had a big Rand McNally map book and I, and I loved it. I was, you know, I was a boy scout growing up. My dad was our scout master and my brother was an Eagle scout. And it was just like, I loved it. I mean, just cruising around going to these, these, these cities and driving all over the country. And unfortunately I didn't play a lot of good golf. I, I just was never super comfortable playing professional golf. I just, I don't know what, for whatever reason, I just worried too much about the money and, and, um, never freewheeled it. You know, I just was always concerned about making the cut. So it seemed like every Friday afternoon I'm coming down the stretch and I'm either one shot back or got a one shot lead on the cut line. I was never in contention. You know, I finished third, I think one week, um, on the Hooters tour in Jackson, Mississippi one year. And I was like my biggest check, like five grand. I mean, it was just ridiculous, you know? So it just never, I never really, I enjoyed the travel. I enjoyed the guys, enjoyed, you know, doing that stuff. I just never got comfortable playing for money. You know, oh. I, I always love, you know, which is what I love about amateur golf. I love playing for the trophy. It's, there's no difference between finishing 
second and 22nd, you know, in amateur golf, in my mind, you either win or you don't. And, um, uh, you know, professional golf just wasn't for me. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me not making it, you know, cause I had a incredible life and incredible golf experiences in amateur golf that I never would have had. Well, you, you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned what amateur golf has done for you. So, you know, obviously the highlight of your amateur career, you know, get your status back in 02 and, um, you know, you, you captured the, the U S mid am at two that in 2005. And, and I was actually at the honors course where you won it back then, uh, this, the year, but unfortunately that, that collegiate term was completely rained out, which was really, I mean, if I had to say there was a disappointment this year is me getting all the way to the honors course and then nothing gets played because that place just looks incredible. Oh, so uh, cool. You yeah. you still hold, I believe, the record for the largest margin of victory in the history of the U.S. Mid-Am. You won your final 10-9. and nine. You know, you mentioned that you weren't comfortable playing professionally, uh, playing for money, and the only thing that mattered was the trophy. And you're in a, you're playing a match where, really, I mean, if you want to talk about a match where the only thing that matters is if you don't win, then who cares? Because you know what's waiting for you if you win. It, not only the trophy, but uh, yeah. you know the Masters. There are all these things waiting for you. It's it's a question that I ask a lot when people are on the the precipice of achieving something incredible. I mean, do you remember that morning and how, I mean, first of all, you get off this great start. Are you thinking, okay, let's, let's protect this. Or were you thinking, let's put the hammer down. How do you approach that match, which has got to be the the most difficult match for a mid-am all year? Yeah, it was, um, we're, we're driving to the golf course. Um, my buddy, Chris Bergreen, um, from Alabama, um, who I had met while I was on the Hooters tour. Uh, had been caddying for me the whole week um, that week during uh, mid-am and you know I I played well the year before at Sea Island uh, the year that Austin Eaton won and I made it to the quarterfinals and kind of learned a lot I I, um, won uh, two matches in extra holes and then lost the quarterfinal match in extra holes after being two up with two to go and I, it, it happened three times. So I lost um, a two up lead with two to go twice and ended up winning in extra holes. And then I lost a two up lead with two to go in the quarters and then lost on the, I can't remember either the first or second uh, playoff hole. And so I kind of learned, you know, a few lessons there to, you know, not let up, but um, you know, neither one of us played very well on the front nine, like decent. I played okay. And I had a, you know, I think I was three up after nine and, um, but uh, Carlton was struggling a little bit. And then I just, for whatever reason, I, I found something on the back and I played the best nine holes of my life. I mean, I just, I, I was just went crazy. I mean, I was birdie and I think I shot like 30 on the back nine at, uh, at the honors course, which, you know, just doesn't happen on a normal day, let alone in a, you know, USGA championship with the greens, right. you know, Rick hard and super fast. And, you know, and I got a couple of good breaks and I made a really long putt on 14, the par three and hit a couple shots real close. And, and then, you know, Carlton made a couple of mistakes, which, you know, gave me a couple holes too, but, and it just, you know, I got, I was 10 up after 18 holes. So it was one of those where, you know, as long as I just stayed upright, yeah, I'm probably going to be able to bring it home. 
and um it was it just happened so fast i mean i just think it, you went from you know i went from three up to you know five six seven eight nine ten up like literally in a you know two hour stretch so you almost didn't have time to think about it and similar to like you know the the opposite of that is when you're in a big moment you know like the masters and you know you're playing and all of a sudden you you know you play a nine hole stretch six over you know and it just happens so fast that you can't stop the bleeding so um it was uh it was just an incredible thing but that morning um going to the course um it was um you know there were some things in the paper in the local paper about um because carlton had had you know went to um like high school there yeah he's from birmingham yeah and so he had gone to school in chattanooga and had a lot of friends and family and and um and so you know i think there was the the focus was kind of on him and the paper and so i kind of was like i took it like you know what it's me against the world kind of a thing and when i got showed up and got to the t i mean there were a lot of people out there that were all for him they were not chanting they were not chanting your name yeah yeah i mean i had my buddy that was caddying for me chris and his dad um had driven up um from northern alabama to watch the finals and and that was pretty much it so it was um and i you know and i fortunately got up to a little bit of a lead and then and then it just snowballed from there and um so i never really had a chance to think about it um what i was playing for i just wanted to I just wanted to beat him and, and win the tournament. And, um, and it's funny because Austin Eaton, who had won it, you know, the year before we had talked about it after I won. And he says, now the hard parts, and this is why I just have so much respect for, you know, Tim Jackson and Nathan and now, you know, Stuart and these guys, because it's, it's one thing to do something when you don't really know what you're doing right but now that you know how amazing the experiences are after you win especially obviously playing in the masters and now with the addition of getting to play in the u.s open and and, you know not a guarantee but at least you've got a real good shot of making the walker cup and it's just like now that now you really know what you're playing for it's even harder yeah exactly (laughs) And, um, so uh, Austin and I had, you know, we, we had talked about that a few times and, you know, and it came close, you know, I made it to the semis, you know, three more times after that. And, um, it's just hard, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard physically too, as you get older, you know, not exactly a marathon runner. So it's hard to walk, you know, that much golf. I mean, you're playing 11 rounds of golf in eight days and it's just, it's brutal. It's crazy. Well, you, you play the 06 Masters, um, you know, you missed the cut, which, you know, truthfully up until Stuart Hagestead, pretty much every, I think every mid-am that has qualified, every yeah. U.S. mid-amateur champion has, uh, has missed the cut. And, um, you know, he's getting another crack at it next year. And, uh, you know, I know you can share your experience. You know, I wouldn't ask you to speak for every single mid-am, but, you know, I think people on the outside looking in know what makes that appearance at the masters so special and magical you know the aura and the history but is that also what makes it so tough um 
it wasn't necessarily for me. I mean, I think I think that there's obviously a part of it with what you're saying is true, but for me, it was it was really just the golf course itself is just really really hard in the tournament, and you know I wasn't the longest hitter. Um, I'm actually way longer now than I was then. And really? It was, yeah. And it was, so it was like the first or second year that Augusta really lengthened the golf course. And it's just really hard. I mean, if you're not carrying the ball in the air, you know, 280 in like literally 280, 285 in the air, you're just, you're hitting into a lot of the upslopes and, you know, you're hitting a lot of mid irons into holes where, you know, if you can carry it 285, 290, you know, you're hitting wedges and, you know, short irons. in, And so it's just really difficult to play that course. In, unless you have a ton of experience, obviously, you know, Bernhard Longer goes out there and makes a cut every year. And, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know where, how that, yeah. That's... You know, but, but when he knows how to play the golf course, right. And, you know, he knows how to kind of sneak up on it. Right. And I just didn't have that experience. You know, I just, you know, I'm hitting a six iron or a five iron and I'm thinking I'm hitting a good shot and I come up, you know, a couple of yards short or a couple of yards long. And now I got this impossible up or down and, um, and it just makes it tough, but I didn't really care to be honest. Like I, I really, I think part of me thought, you know, I had a good chance of maybe doing it again, but I also wanted to, you know, really soak it in. And I, and I had so many friends and family that came there to watch. I, I really wanted to, you know, just make them proud with, a, you know, just, you know, who I was and being able to, you know, conduct myself well. And, yeah. you know, I was playing with Padre Harrington who was in contention for the tournament and I didn't want to, you know, take anything away from him by trying to, you know, grind stuff out to, you know, shoot 77 when I you right, know, whatever, right. get out of his way, you know, and, um, it, it's just, uh, it's just such a special place. And the fact that they still do this for, you know, amateurs is one thing, but, you know, to, to be doing it for the mid-am still, and, you know, and I'm just so thrilled that Stewart could make the cut and kind of add a little bit of credibility back to, you know, mid-am golf. And it's, um, it's just cool because, you know, it's just hard now for mid-ams to get in, obviously, you know, big tournaments now. I mean, it's hard for them to get in, you know, the big college, the big, uh, you know, amateur tournaments. Yeah. Because um, it's just, it's so much weight put on the Walker Cup and World Amateur Rankings and all these things that, you know, these tournament organizers really kind of overlook a lot of mid-ams that are great players. And so um, it's, it's just a special event. I mean, every April when, when, you know, the Masters comes on, I just get so many messages from people that were there when I played and just talk about memories, you know, it's just a, it's just a really cool experience. And to me, that's what it's all about. If I, if I would have got to play two more days, it would have been awesome, but it wouldn't have really changed, you know, the memories. Well, you, you're talking about memories. One of the best stories I ever heard uh, from a mid-am that, that got to play in the Masters was from uh, from your, your buddy and my buddy, Scott Harvey. He mentioned that the one night he stayed at the crow's nest it was just deathly quiet there, and I think it was him, and he, I think it was Corey Connors, and he had to go downstairs and get a, you know, get a little six or a Coors Light and just sit up there in the crow's nest. So, um, do you have any uh, anything to 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 compare with Mr. Harvey's uh, 
crow's nest story or were you uh you probably were well too well i stayed i actually stayed there the whole week really I just, okay i loved it i mean i wanted to really you wanted to move just in experience the whole thing and i i'm not i hate traffic and i hate you know just like tons of crowds and stuff so like i just figure you know what why would i stay anywhere else when i could literally just walk downstairs into the clubhouse so i mean it was just I, I don't know the whole week was just so cool and being able to hang out there and and um you know none of the amateurs played well that year unfortunately but um you know eduardo molinari was the u.s amateur champion um you know but we just we just had so many cool stories every night you know guys would come out Uh, most of the guys all stayed the first night or two and then it was it really was just um clay ogden who won won the pub links and uh i think dylan doherty was the runner-up yeah and then brian Brian McElhenney was the british champ and yep but just dylan and clay and i stayed the whole week so we just like we would just sit there and like tell stories like you know who you played with today and like the practice rounds are the best i mean you know when i got to play with you know crenshaw um i played with crenshaw jerry pate and um olin brown on tuesday and then i i played with um with tiger and omera on wednesday did you say you played a practice round with tiger woods yeah, I did. Yeah, boy. Yeah, he, so, he must have been intimidated to just play, teed up with you for a day, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was kind of funny. I'd seen. I ran into him. I knew, knew him fairly well in college. We'd played, you know, a handful of times together, and obviously both being from Southern California, and so I'd seen him out there uh, maybe six weeks or so before the tournament on one of my visits, and and um, and I just, hey, you know, ran into him. <laughs> And he's like, what are you doing here? And so, you know, I told him I had one <laughs> I work here. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he probably thought that's what it was. And, uh, and so anyway, it was cool. I was like, hey, man, I, you know, I know it's, you know, you got a lot going on. I said, but I'd love to play a practice. And he goes, absolutely. You know, so he goes, just see me on, I'll be here on Monday. See me and we'll set something up for Tuesday or Wednesday. And so, you know, I found him on Monday afternoon over on the short game area. And, and uh he goes, yeah, you want to play tomorrow? And I was like, ah, I said, I already got a game. I'm playing with Crenshaw. No way. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. Yeah. So, Sorry, so we, my dance uh, card is full. But what about yeah, Wednesday? So, yeah, so Wednesday morning we played, and they just we just played nine holes. We played the back nine, and because uh, and then and then I ended up playing the par three with Tom Lehman and Fred Funk. But yeah, it's fun because you know, especially with you know, Mr. O'Mara and, you know, he's actually out here at summit with us now in Vegas. So, um, I get to see Mark, I mean, all the time. I mean, when he's here, so it's pretty cool. And, and yeah, to be able to, you know, play, you know, play that, have that experience with tiger and it was just amazing. And I just have so much respect for what he's done in the game of golf. And, and, uh, he, he's always been so nice to me. And, um, it's just going all the way back, you know, I played with him. I'm just thinking back, how many people can say a story that Tiger asked to play golf with me and I said, I can't, I'm busy. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know anyone in the world. At Augusta. At Augusta. <laughs> Listen, you can't just bring this on me last minute, Tiger. I got shit to do. I got a game. That's right. That's, yeah, I mean, I can't blow off Ben Crenshaw. I mean, I mean, 
<laughs> now, did you? Now, I don't want to. I'm just curious. Did you even for a split second think about uh, maybe I maybe I do jump ship? I mean, it, it had to it had to register for a well, second. Well, if he if he would have said it's tomorrow or nothing, I would have been in a real tough. Yeah, okay. Fortunately, I had Wednesday as an option. Yeah, fortunately for that, like, <laughs> hey, Tiger, the week's kind of getting away from me. Can we uh, can we move this around? Oh my god, yeah. man! Thank God I wouldn't be in that situation because I would just. Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd make a wrong joke and probably get kicked out of the joint. So that's that's <laughs> not good. Um, all right, well, I'm glad you shared that one. Let me get you out of here on this one. Um, you know, you, you, you we've talked about your amateur experiences. You know, not just the U.S. Mid Am win, but you know, you won a lot of you know whether it's Carlton Woods or, or you know a lot of uh, a lot of amateur events in California. Just a lot of great experiences. But you just like you mentioned about the East West badges, there are going to be some young kids that are uh that are you know before they turn professional they're going to participate in the east west matches um yeah you know you're you know they're going to turn pro they're going to take a crack at it like you did and not that you would ever talk anyone out of it but just curious can you speak to the opportunities that have presented that have been presented to you because of your involvement in amateur golf and and i don't just mean the u.s mid-am playing the Masters. i don't mean that i'm talking about what has no. your life been like the last 20 years directly or indirectly because of the game of golf and playing it as an amateur it's everything it's it's you know i, I tell people like, golf is really beyond just a sport i mean it's it's a lifestyle and to have the experiences that i've had and and you know to be able to walk on the golf course with some of the most successful people in the world whether it's business or other sports you know icons in the game of other sports and stuff you know i've found that anybody that plays golf you know all wants to be better they all want to be good golfers and i don't care if it's you know um you know the greatest basketball player that's ever played or one of the most successful businessmen in you know in the world whatever they if they play golf they are dying to become better players right and it's just so cool to be able to be in that comfort zone and to be able to spend, you know, four or five hours with somebody at that level and to be able, you know, get to know them and, and be in a situation where they're looking at me and how I play golf is like, you know, something that they want to, you know, learn from. And right. it's just, it's, it, and it just comes across, it's just like a confidence that you have that you can be in those situations and um, it's just meant everything to, to my business career and to be able to, you know, work for discovery land company and being here at the summit and being around, you know, like Mr. Foley, for example, who owns the golden Knights and, you know, is just, and, and some of the players on the team that I've sold, you know, real estate to and, and, um, you know, like Dexter Fowler's out here with, you know, who plays for the angels and, and, uh, and just all these guys. I mean, I got to play with Charles Barkley out here and be able to spend the whole day with him and be able to experience those things. And you just pick up these incredible little nuggets sure. from every one of them and, and what's made them successful in their lives and, and how certain people treat them and other people treat them differently and whatever, you know, and it just, I've always just really tried to come across as very genuine and just be who I am. And, 
Um, and you know, I'm, I'm not that good at very many things, but my dad always kind of taught me, he's like, whatever you try to do, just try to be the best at it, you know? And, um, I just, you know, love golf and, and I love real estate and love my family. And that's about all I really know how to do. <laughs> be a good husband, be a good dad, um, you know, make some birdies every now and then and, and sell some real estate. So it's, um, sounds, it's just sounds like you got it. Sounds like you got it figured out. I mean, what else, what else is there? I mean, uh... not much really. I mean, my wife and I talk about it all the time. We, we really try to just keep it simple and, um, and it's just, we've been really fortunate and, um, I'm just so, you know, proud to, you know, have accomplished what I've accomplished in, in the game of golf and kind of now taking some time off from, you know, really working on my game and playing in tournaments. And I just want to, you know, take care of my family and, you know, I'm kind of in the no man's land right now with between mid-am golf and senior golf. And hopefully in a few more years, um, I'll have some time to, you know, start working on my game again and, maybe start playing some senior golf yeah you, you could be a, i mean if you were a senior now you'd have to go up against a guy like gene elliott who, who wants it you don't want any part of that nonsense do you no nah, no i'm hoping my, see that's the problem with you know amateur golf 55 right so i got like seven more years before i can start playing senior amateur golf so um but you know it'd be fun to play like in a senior open or yeah. something like that in another two three years and um we'll see i mean but you know it just takes a lot of work i i i, I really respect um the guys like gene and brady expert and doug hansel and mike mccoy and these guys i mean they really work hard at their games oh I mean, god chip lutz and these guys i mean they they really they work hard i mean i i, I totally respect that and i got a late start in life as far as being an adult and you know i got a four, <laughs> i got a four-year-old uh, almost not even four in january she'll be four so oh, wow. um, I'm, I'm really trying to to be a good dad and 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 do do all those things that i need to do to take care of them well kevin well said um gosh you're giving me giving me something to, to to move move towards i need to get my game ready for the for uh for senior amateur golf in uh well i got a little bit longer to, to work on it than you do so not not <laughs> much not Don't much rub. not not much really i mean we're, we're talking what three four years i mean we're right there so i i uh, and and we both played at Conway Farms in 2012. We have so much in common. So I tell you what, let's go. Let's meet early, a day or two early at uh, Merido next November, and uh, we'll we'll play around together. It'd be fun. Sure, it'd be fun for you to see that happen. So um, no, no, that would be fun. Um, well, we have a lot, a long way to go, but before now in the East West matches at Merido, and it's it's really, you know, congrats on being named captain of, of the uh, of the West team and. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch these points. I mean, we, we you're used to watching Wagger, used to watching, you know, point systems and, and people jockeying for position. This is going to be a lot of fun. So yeah. um, we'll need to reconnect before uh, for the East-West matches. And uh, But for now, happy holidays. I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Same to you, man. I really appreciate all your support and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. And there you have it. Special thanks to Kevin Marsh for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Again, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every episode is available at the website, thebackoftherange.com. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.